Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, a podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 96, Sick Fascination. Today's proverb is unattributed. I'll read it twice. Don't shoot the messenger. Once more, don't shoot the messenger. I love the fact that the proverb assumes that the messenger brings bad news, that all messengers bring bad news. Or the proverb assumes that we are likely to rope the messenger in to bad news, but not to rope the messenger into good news, or less likely to rope the messenger into good news. When the messenger brings bad news, there's a tendency to make the messenger accountable or responsible for the bad news they bring. On the other hand, when someone comes bringing good news, our mind easily goes from the messenger to the news they bear, and we can forget all about the messenger 10 seconds later, 5 seconds later, immediately. Whereas we feel some sort of personal affront by the person who brings bad news. Bad news is not like good news. Our response to bad news very different than the response to good news, not only on an emotional level, but in terms of who we hold responsible for bad news. The bringer of good news is just a neutral agent, bears no responsibility for whatever wonderful thing he has to say. But we know on this intuitive level that there is something delicious about having bad news to give. I do not mean that this is true all of the time. Maybe eight out of ten times, there is something intriguing about bad news, about being the one who gets to bring the bad news to somebody, and in bringing the bad news to them, 
to have some sort of say or some sort of control over the exact phrasing of the bad news. We're far more likely to overthink bad news than good news if we have to deliver it. If you've got good news to bear, hey, guess what? You won the lottery. Not a whole lot of thought put into that. But if you've got bad news to bear, you tend to think in terms of very fine scales of words and meanings. And if you've got bad news to bear, having bad news to bear is more likely to turn you into a semiotician or an anthropologist or a psychologist where you turn the phrases over and over in your heads. How exactly am I going to say this? What words do I want to use? And again, I don't think that there is something delicious about all bad news that you have to give. I have had to give my children bad news on many occasions. And I do not take any delight in it. So I'm not saying that every human being is secretly <laughs> twisted and cruel and takes some sort of perverse pleasure out of crushing other people's dreams. But you can't help feeling important when you're the one with some bad news. And when I say bad news, I mean the sort of news that is apt to change or to at least significantly alter someone's life, even if only for a short while. The sort of bad news I have in mind is not once-in-a-lifetime news, once-in-a-lifetime bad news, but it's also not once-in-a-week bad news. Like, once-in-a-week bad news is something like, I think it's going to rain tomorrow and the baseball game is going to be canceled. Oh, that's disappointing. I wanted to go to that. I would say that's once-a-week bad news, but then there's once-in-a-lifetime bad news. Your house burned to the ground. And if you have to deliver that news to someone you love, and you know that they are going to fall apart after receiving it, I'm not suggesting that there's some pleasure in that. But we feel important to bear once in a decade bad news, or twice in a decade sort of bad news. And because we feel important to bring it, we feel sort of called. Like you feel as though you have been chosen to bear certain sorts of bad news. And because you feel chosen, you feel this heightened sense of self-awareness. And you're very careful in choosing your words. How exactly am I going to put this? And you think about the ways that particular words you might choose will have subtly different effects on the person that hears it. And you try to decide how or whether you want to preface the bad news. A lot of people preface bad news with, I have some bad news for you. We want the person who's going to receive the bad news to receive it objectively. And we feel as though if we say, I have some bad news for you, 
that we will be taken as having less responsibility for bringing it than if we simply tell someone a sad or sorry fact about their life, which is now the case. Bad news is sort of magical. Bad news is magical. Bad news is like a sadness incantation. It's sort of remarkable the power you have when you have bad news to deliver to someone. When you have bad news to deliver someone, you start thinking about time. You start thinking about how fragile human life is, how fragile the psychology of a human being is, and how quickly a person can go from happy to sad simply because they have heard something. Like you can wreck someone's day with a little bit of bad news. You don't even have to touch them. You don't have to harm them. That the pronunciation of five or six words can take someone who is blithely happy and make them miserable. And you know what the bad news is before you say it, of course. And we resent people for knowing our bad news before we do. I think that's another reason why we're prone to shoot the messenger. There's something very private about bad news. And for other people to have it feels like a violation of that privacy. It feels like a violation of the sanctity of your heart, the privacy of your heart, the impenetrability of your heart. I think that's another reason why we're prone to shoot the messenger, is we're embarrassed that they know and that they knew before we did. The messenger chooses the words that constitute the bad news. They have not chosen the bad news. They have not made the news true, usually. But they've chosen the words that they use for the effect that they'll have. And we know that the person who brings bad news is intrigued to see how we will respond. And their intrigue at how we will respond is another reason we are prone to resent them. Even though that intrigue is unavoidable, even though it's human to be curious how someone is going to respond to bad news, Nonetheless, we resent people who are intrigued at how we will respond to bad news. And we feel the messenger studying our face, looking into our eyes to see the recognition beginning. And we feel objectified in that moment. We feel as though we are being uh, studied or observed like some sort of lab rat. And this, this feeling is not unjustifiable because everyone who brings bad news, every messenger with bad news is delivering bad news, but there's a way in which the, the messenger is 
receiving bad news at the same time they deliver it. Because you cannot bring someone bad news without knowing that at any point in your own life, you could receive such news as well. What can you inflict on another man that could not be inflicted on you in return, as Lady Philosophy asks in the Consolation? And so when you deliver the bad news and you study the face of the person receiving it, you begin to imagine how you could or would react to such news when you hear it, when it's finally your turn to hear your father has died, your mother has died. We also think when we deliver bad news about how such news should be received. And we, we form these thoughts about what a noble response to bad news would be. When you see how someone else responds to bad news, you begin to judge their feelings. Do their feelings correspond appropriately to reality? Do their feelings, their bad feelings, match the bad news that they've received? Or are they indifferent? Is their response authentic? Or is there something feigned about it? Do we entirely trust the response of the person who's received bad news? Or the moment you deliver bad news to someone, you learn something about them that you never knew before. You learn how much they cared or how little they cared about the thing that you have to tell them. And the, the person who receives bad news knows all of this. Even if the person receiving bad news has never thought through all of this, we have all given and received bad news. And so we know this complex of decisions that are made and all of the judgments that are formed in the immediate aftermath of giving bad news. And we feel judged. And this is another reason why we are tempted to shoot the messenger. So I think that this is maybe four or five reasons why we're tempted to shoot the messenger, why we need to be told not to shoot the messenger. But I, I do also think that there's something else. There's another reason why we're tempted to shoot the messenger. Some bad news is necessary, but some bad news is not. And when I say that some bad news is necessary, I mean there are situations you find yourself in where you know that something bad has happened to someone else, maybe before they even know it. Someone's dog dies, let's say. And you know that this person whose dog has died, but who does not know that their dog has died, is going to find out that their dog died as soon as they get home. 
and through whatever contrivance of the plot, it's also the, the, the case that the person whose dog has died will find out that you knew their dog was dead and that you said nothing about it. And so I, would, I want to count this as necessary bad news, that if you tell somebody your dog is dead, that bad news was going to reach them eventually, whether you said so or not. And oftentimes it's the case that necessary bad news that's known by third party beforehand, it's going to be known, it's going to be discovered that you knew and you didn't say anything, in which case the person whose dog died comes to you and says, I can't believe you didn't tell me. Why didn't you tell me that my dog was was dead? Why did you let me walk into my home and find my dog dead? You had been to my house before I got home. You knew that my dog was dead. You stopped by my home to... uh, I don't know, pick up something for me for work. Why didn't you tell me? And these are incredibly frustrating moments. I, it seems to me that they're more common in fiction than in real life. But nonetheless, that's necessary bad news. There is also unnecessary bad news. And unnecessary bad news is the result of some judgment call that we have to make. Like telling someone, you drink too much, or you have got to lose some weight, or you have got to brush your teeth. This is all, this is not necessary bad news. It's news where we can claim, often enough, plausible deniability later on. And so when we have that sort of bad news, the sort of bad news that leads to an intervention, we're prompted to shoot the messenger because there are some, and this is going to be a weird way of putting it, and I I puzzled over how to say this. So what I'm about to say isn't exactly true, but it's close enough to be true, and I can't think of any other way to put it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it this way. There are some truths that don't exist until they're spoken. And I, that's really not the best way of putting it, because it makes it sound a little arbitrary. But I, I want to say that there are some truths that don't exist until someone speaks them into existence. And I don't mean that we can speak whatever we want to into existence. It's not that whatever you declare with authority somehow becomes true, because lying and deception and flattery are all possible as well. But there are just some realities that we call into existence for other people, and they then begin to inhabit in brightest heaven of invention in Peter Lightheart's commentary on the Taming of the Shrew, he talks about these worlds of words we create for other people and then ask them to step into these worlds of words that we have created. And this is what he argues is going on with all of the pleasant things that are said of Catherine that are not true, but are not flattery either. They're possibilities. And the things that you say of people can become true. Like if you tell, there are some people that aren't stupid until you call them stupid. 
there are some people that aren't beautiful till you call them beautiful. And it's the telling, it's the calling that makes it so. And so when this is bad news, we feel as though the person who has given the bad news has also called the bad news into existence. When the bad news is true, but not necessary, as opposed to necessary, inevitable bad news, there is something mysterious about the power of an authoritative declaration. It can't be entirely accounted for in a rational manner. I've seen students' lives changed when I told them that they did good work. And I was not flattering them. It was just that no one had ever told them they did good work before. And when you tell them, you have done good work. Especially if you're not the sort of person that's easy to please or easy to impress. The person who hears it goes away telling themselves that they are a new kind of person, that they are the kind of person that can impress that teacher. And then they start living into this new description that you've given of them. And so in that case, the messenger is delivering good news. And they seem to have called the good news into existence just by speaking it. Some realities are ambiguous and require an interpreter. And then we get angry at the interpreter for making sense of an ambiguous reality. The fact that words are so powerful is what makes lying so sinister. If truth is objective, then lying is like sorcery. I don't know if you've ever been, if you've ever been the victim of a lie, or if you've ever seen the way that a lie, the right lie, can, can tear apart someone else. If you've never seen that, it, it might be hard to appreciate just how sinister and just how destructive the right lie can be. But when you've seen it, there's no mistaking it. There's no mistaking this nearly black magical power of the right lie. Don't shoot the messenger. Why not, though? So up until this point, we've spoken mainly about reasons you want to shoot the messenger. But why shouldn't you? You shouldn't shoot the messenger because everyone needs bad news. Consider all of your many sins. Do you not deserve bad news? Consider all that you've ever gotten away with in your life. Consider all the sins you've committed that you have not told a blessed soul. Consider what you really deserve. Consider what you've earned. Consider all the rewards you've received, all the good and pleasant things that you have received that you did not deserve. 
ask yourself, of, for all the things that I have gotten away with, do I not deserve some bad news? And if someone takes some sort of sick fascination in delivering me bad news, should I not bear it evenly, knowing how much more bad news would be fair for me to receive, and yet which I have not received and will probably never receive, because the balance of good and bad news in the cosmos tends towards good news, despite what we deserve. And the world is a way nicer place to live than it should be. And your life is more pleasant than you have any right to lay claim on. Is bad news... Does all bad news not point us toward the final piece of bad news? That we will receive. Which is death itself. That everything that might count as bad news before death. And everything that counts as bad news is a loss of some kind. Right? Are not all the things that we lose that turn into bad news. Ultimately going to be taken from us in death anyway. And is it not some consolation to get some of the bad news of death out of the way before death comes? Does bad news not prepare us to die? Is bad news not a bit like dying? And if we can die before we die, then we will not die after we die.